Welcome to the T2 Hubcast. Join Martin, Dave, Spencer and guests as they discuss all things personal and professional development. The T2 Hubcast, brought to you by the People Performance People. So welcome to the T2 Hubcast with me, Martin Johnson. And me, Spencer Locker. Good morning, Spence. Morning, Martin. This is, uh, you're laughing already, but this is because um, we've recorded two podcasts recently. Um, The tech is playing up, so we've done a full half an hour because we do all of these in one take live. Yeah. There's no testing, there's no editing. So we've got to the end and then the podcast hasn't loaded up or recorded. So we've done an hour's (laughs) worth of material and it's disappeared into the universe, the digital universe. So we are on the third attempt now. If this doesn't work, Spence, yeah. well, it won't matter because no, no one will hear it. No one will hear it. If it does work and you're listening to this, we've succeeded. We're back, back in the game. So yeah. let's let's go again, Spence. The yeah. topic we discussed and that we're going to discuss is on-the-ground influencers yeah. within the workplace. Mm. On-the-ground influencers is something we came up with and we, we researched and sort of wrote as a result of naturally doing leadership development programs where this topic came up time and time again, and we very quickly realized that it's not always the leader who carries the greatest influence over the people. Mm. It's not always the leader who can take the team in a certain direction. In actual fact, we have these very influential people called on-the-ground influencers. And and just to sort of set the scene, Spence, and I'll bring you in because you've done a lot on this lately, Um what we mean by on-the-ground influencer is somebody who is within the team, within the peer group, they carry no title, no position of command, rank, or authority, so they have no real decision-making authority or influence by power. However, they still carry influence with the wider group, either positively mm. or negatively, Yeah. but it's those people in the team where if they're on board, everybody else is. If they're not and they want to be disruptive, they can seem to influence other people into that way of thinking as well. And we call these on-the-ground influencers. So first question to you, Spence, is why is it a topic that should be taken seriously? Why should it be at the forefront of leaders' minds? You know, Hmm. it's not all just about you leading and your skill set to lead. Um, And what have you found when you start talking to managers and leaders on, like, courses about this? Do they resonate with it instantly? Well, yeah. Uh, to be honest with you, that, that last point you make is is very um, poignant, really, um, because when we start talking about this with uh, with clients and delegates, uh, nine times out of ten, we, we 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 pose the thought, the concept of on the ground influencers, and you can see them sort of looking into the mid distance, stroking the chins a little bit. Then we actually go into the definitions of them. So we talk about positive on the ground influencers because it's not all negative, is it? Uh, and then we talk about negative disillusioned and negative disruptive. And you can see these light bulb moments where people are going, because they're seeing it from two different areas. Firstly, they're seeing it from their current area where they sort of acknowledge and recognize that there are people on the ground who don't hold a position of leadership or manage, a managerial or supervisory position who have that influence. But also from the fact that you don't start work as a manager, you start work on the ground, don't you? So when they were on the ground, you see these people, you see these personalities, you see these influencers, and, and they are like positive and negative influencers. You, your positive influencers, your role models, the people you look at and think to yourself, you know what, I've got a load of knowledge and I've got a load of enthusiasm, but very little experience. In a couple of years' time, 
That's the person I want to be. That's who I want to be. Role models. Then you've got the negative influences. Nobody ever wants to be them, but people turn into them for one reason and another. Well, because they are so, influential. So yeah, they've got yeah. this uncanny knack of, of sometimes even the most positive, um, open-minded people in the team can get hijacked by a negative influencer. Certainly. And then before you know it, they're in a negative state of mind, right? So yeah. let me just come back to that point because you Certainly. you mentioned a lot of stuff there, which for the listeners, I just want to clarify a few things. So what we found with on-the-ground influencers is this. You can be a positive influencer, as Spence, mm. Spence rightly suggested. So you can display the right behaviors, the right mindset, the you know the right attitude, the right skill sets, and therefore you're often admired by others in a positive light, right? But you can be a negative influencer as well. But we split negative influencers up into two different categories. And, and you mentioned them quickly there, but let me just define what they are. You can be a negative influencer intentionally and disruptively. We call these disruptive negative influencers. So it's you've got yourself in a state of mind where you, the, world's, you're, the world's against you, you're a victim, you're pissed off at the world, whatever it might be, and you are now intentionally trying to upset the apple cart. You, you know, you, you're, you're angry, you're, you're disengaged, and quite frankly, it's an us and you mentality. The, these people become disruptive negative influencers. But we also observed that it's not always strictly the case. I mean, the amount of people who come through T2, who come into our classroom, and they are negative influencers, you can tell. But when they explain it from their perspective, you quickly realize that they are more disillusioned than disruptive. So the second category of negative influencer is disillusioned. Mm. These people are not intentionally trying to fight the organization or, in fact, deep down somewhere, they want to do well. They have done well in the past. They want to think positively. They're capable of it. They're just completely disillusioned at this present time with a couple of things, whether it's the manager, whether it's an unjust situation, whether they're, you know, they're not getting what they need from the organization, the frustration's building up, or whether they've been hijacked themselves by a, a disruptive negative influencer. So they've become temporarily disillusioned. I think it's important to make that point, Spence, between... Mm -hmm. If you've got negative influencers in your team who are influencing the rest of the group, are they disruptive, intentionally disruptive, and they've got themselves in that frame of mind? Or are they temporarily disillusioned? Yeah. And that's important to try and differentiate, it is. isn't it? I think it is. I mean, uh, when we start, it's, it's, uh, it's important to realize, just to put that into a little bit of a, a, little bit of a, a, a slightly different context, it's not all binary. You're not, you are not a superman. Um, who is who is commanding respect and authority and all this that and the other, and then something goes wrong and you turn into a Bond villain. It's there's there's different stages. It's, it's not a binary thing. So there might be that you know what. Sometimes you're a positive influencer, but something's happened. It might be something outside work. It might be something. Well, and this comes back to my yeah. point, Spence. I say to people at some point, anybody listening to this, me and you sat here today, at some point in our lives or careers. We have all been disillusioned at some point. Yeah. We've all been in that negative state, that negative influencer state where we're having a good old moan, you know, we're, we're, we're complaining about the establishment, the management, whatever it might be. We've all been, whether it's for 10 minutes, one day, 10 days, or a year, we've all been, I think, disillusioned at some point. Yeah. Because it's life, mm. right? It's just mm -hmm. life. So <clears throat> these people 
we want to recognize and we want to understand why they're disillusioned and try and reverse transition them mm. back to being a positive influencer. Um, because it's not a, it's not a permanent thing. However, you will get people and you will find a trend with disruptive influencers where it's an ongoing thing. It's they've formed a habit of being negative. Mm. They've formed too much of a victim mentality and it's almost beyond the point of return for these people. Unless something major happens where they have this complete mindset shift, this light bulb moment where it's like, shit, this isn't serving me well. I need to book my ideas up, which they very rarely do because they can't admit there's something wrong in the first place. These people really get rarely get out of it. So I think trying to spot in your teams who is intentionally disruptive versus who is just disillusioned is really important because we want to focus our time and effort as a leader on rescuing those disillusioned people. Yeah. And I think one of the things that um, that quickly follows that, when we get these light bulb moments in, in we, when we're working with delegates and, and, and clients, they get these light bulb moments, they recognize that there are these negative disillusioned, negative disruptive and, and, um, and positive influencers. And it's quickly followed by, why are these people influencers? What makes a person an influencer? Great point. Well, we, we've done some research on this and let's explain this right now, Spence. So we found, haven't we, that there's four reasons that people become influential in the first place. Mm. Because there are some people in groups who are not entirely influential. They don't tend to influence the behavior or thoughts of the people around them, which is fine. You don't. We don't all have to be influencers. Um, so, so there's a lot of people who are just middle ground. They're quite happy to follow. They're quite happy to, you know, have their own thoughts, whatever it might be. But when people actually cross the line and become influential, positive or negative, what makes them influential in the first place? Mm. And we found there's four reasons for this. So yeah. this might give you, the listeners, a bit of an idea of as to think about your team. And if any of them fit this, the bill of these four descriptions, it's likely they're influencing people around them. The first one, Spence, credible through performance. People who are credible through their performance. Yeah. So these are people who turn up and actually knock it out of the park. These are people who actually do the job. And we're not talking about um, some people who just, just get on with the job. We're talking about people who step up, do a bloody good job, and and you know what? Because they do that, they're respected. Anybody who's great at what they do, whether yeah. it's a sports person, whether it's people in the working world, you know, whatever it might be, if someone's good at it, you sort of look at them and that credibility shines through so they become an influencer. Mm. You want to listen to them. You want to understand what they do. That makes them so good, right? You want to yeah. follow. So, you know, we always use examples, don't we? Like uh, Whitney Houston. Yeah. She, you know, her, she might not got everything right and her life wasn't exactly all in order. But when she stood up on that stage, there was nobody better. Yeah, she was credible yeah. through her performance. Yeah, we also use Serena Williams as well. Yeah, um, which um, who, who um, at the end of the day, she's she's many different things. She's an icon. She's uh, just like Whitney Houston. Um, she's got she represents a lot of different sort of viewpoints. But at the end of the day, when she's on that tennis court, she knocks it out of the park. And when and on the very rare occasion, she doesn't actually meet the standards that she herself has set you better believe that the next time she's out there, she will. Well, if Serena Williams knocked it out of the park, she wouldn't technically be that good, <laughs> would she? I think you know. <laughs> right, yeah. She keeps it on the court. She keeps it on the court. <laughs> but yeah, I get your point. So the first 
type of influencer you will get in your team in the workplace are those who are credible through their performance. Other people see and observe the way they do the job. And because they're, they're you know, top of the table, they're good at what they do, people will uh, you know, follow them to some extent. Mm. They will listen to them. So they become an influencer. Yeah. The second type of influencer you can get is slightly different, but with as much impact at times, respected through experience. So it's not so much all about the performance, and it might not be that they're the best person in the team at doing what they do, but they carry a level of experience over a number of years, which really, really matters to some people. You know, it's like if you've been doing this 20, 30 years and you've lived through the scars and you've seen all of the regimes come and go, you carry a level of experience that I need to leverage. So they tend to become influential with the wider group as a result of their experience. Yeah. And we don't, it's not necessarily the older people, more tenured people, because sometimes it's not the amount of experience, but it's the breadth of experience. So when you're talking to somebody, um, let's say for the sake of it, I don't really want to pick on a, on, on a particular job, but when you find that they've actually done another job and another job and another, and they all sort of link together, but it gives that person a breadth of experience, a width, if you like. So yeah, it's, it's just, wow, they've done, they've done this and uh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it breeds that respect. Yeah. Well, listen, there's nothing, there's no substitute for experience as people say, and to pull upon that, anybody who's been doing something a reasonable amount of time and he's still around commands some respect. So uh, they become influencers within the group. People look to the old guard. People look to experience, when, certainly under pressure, and when the chips are down because it's likely they've been through this before, right? Yeah. So your first two types of influencer are going to be if if your people are credible through their performance or if they're respected through experience. What's the third type of influencer, Spence? Um, socially dominant. Yeah, socially dominant, which Basically is... Basically me. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's really interesting because uh, some people sort of think... Uh, some people mistake socially dominant for, um, for socially confident. And socially confident and socially dominant are not the same thing. Um, socially confident people are, as it says on the, on the tin, confident in social situations. However... They are receptive. It's not all broadcast. It's not stuck on transmit. It's not all la, la, la. Uh, they're willing to listen to other people's perspectives, points of view. And sometimes, you know what? If I agree with that, I'm going to adjust the cut of my cloth accordingly. When you start talking about socially dominant people, it is stuck on transmit. They are not people who you discuss it's not with certain perspectives with. It's not people who will listen to your point of view. It's not people who will consider uh, alternative viewpoints. It is socially dominant. This is me. This is what I think. If you challenge that in any way, shape, or form, or even if I think you're challenging it, I'm going to talk over you. Yeah, overpowering, over-talking, aggress aggression, confrontation, that is socially dominant people. We use examples, don't we, Spence, like Russell Brand. Yeah, Katie Hopkins. Yeah, you know. Piers Morgan. Piers Morgan, yeah. The, these type of people, all smart people. I would not I would not say, like even Katie Hopkins, I wouldn't say that she's not got a level of intellect. She knows what she's doing, mm. as does Piers Morgan, mm. as does Russell Brand. Now, I know Russell Brand's probably turned over a new leaf and he's more Buddha these days and, you know, all the rest of it. However, when you think of these people in debate, when you think of these are people expressing opinions, 
they don't allow for alternatives. They just don't. So they become socially dominant in their position, which intimidates other people into submission. That That's what happens. And, and we find that you will have people in your teams in the workplace who are socially dominant. They're big characters, outspoken, very firm in their views, no filter, and they're unwilling to sometimes listen to alternatives, so they will just overpower. What that happens is people in the team become intimidated by opposing them. So if they raise an issue, another team member might not agree with them, but they won't speak up against them. So the socially dominant influencers become negative influencers in the team because they don't have any opposition because people give up trying to debate with them, trying to, just at the fear of being reprimanded or having a really uncomfortable conflict in discussion. Socially dominant influencers, I find, Spence, in your team will have the ability to, to break it down. They'll have the ability to make your life as a leader a really tough one. And, and I'd even go as far as saying is sometimes a leader's success is 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 made it, it, it's built upon your ability to deal with socially dominant people yeah um i would i would agree with you totally there and i would also add that um socially dominant people can add a level of toxicity to situations um and this is uh, and we'll come on to this a little bit in a little while but you may find that some people who are socially dominant, when they're actually doing the job that they do, they do it really well. However, the cost of that is when they stop doing the job and they start mixing with other members of the team and, and the effect can be catastrophic. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we've got three types of on-the-ground influencer suspense. We, you know, we defined at the beginning that these influencers uh, are, are really important for a leader to identify. We then said they can be positive or negative. On the negative side, they can be intentionally disruptive or they can be temporarily disillusioned. However, the, they are negative. We've gone through the, the three of the four types already. You either, They become influencers in the first place because they're either credible through performance, respected through their experience, or they're socially dominant. So what's the fourth and final type of influencer? Uh, fourth one is socially excellent Socially excellent. So yeah. appears in terms of terminology similar, but with a vast difference to socially dominant yeah. people. It's it's amazing when you actually meet somebody who is socially excellent. Um, sometimes you don't realise till afterwards. Uh, sometimes these socially excellent people are, they just have this effect. When, um, when we start listening, when we start talking about listening, uh, you find that uh, with the socially socially dominant people will listen to reply, whereas um, socially excellent people will listen to understand. And, and the way they interact is very, um, I don't really want to say passive or aggressive or active. It, it is active. It's You feel listened to. It's situationally yeah, relevant. Yeah. That's what socially excellent people do. They go... Um, they, they sort of live by that mantra, don't they? That it's like, not, I'm not going to treat people how I want to be treated. I want to treat people how they would like to be treated. So yeah. in order to do that, I need to get to know who I'm dealing with. Yeah. I need to understand people's worlds, personality styles, their preferences, um, their interests. 
that what motivates them, you know, what they're into and find some common ground. Mm. You know, socially excellent people have obviously have been described in the past as people who um, make you feel like the most important person in the room. Yeah. When you're with them, they are present. You know, you enjoy their company, um, all of that great stuff. They take a slight move in people's directions rather than just being, I am me and it's a one size fits all. And yeah. it's not fake. It's no. not inauthentic. It's smart. It's on, it's saying generally, as long as you've got, as long as you're yourself, it's okay for me to take a slight step in your direction. If it's going to help us build rapport and have a great outcome. Generally people want to be around socially excellent people. Yeah. They're, they're great socially in teams. They're quite fun. People enjoy being around them. And as a result of that, Spence, they become influential. Because when you had, when you admire people and you like mm. being around them, yeah, you're receptive to them. They are. They are the difference between manipulation and influential. Yeah, and 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 it's personified. Let me let me just make a point on that. Right, people say to me, Martin, all the stuff you do at T two around teaching people to be more conscious of their behaviour and slightly modified to get the best out of situations with others, isn't that manipulation? And I say, great question. No, it's not. Manipulation is described as when one person's actions is insincere for their own personal gain or one person changes and modifies their behavior for their own personal gain, even if it's to somebody else's detriment, usually to someone else's detriment. That's manipulation. Whereas influence, right, is when a person modifies their behavior or takes a certain direction based on the fact that the the outcome will be mutually beneficial it's a we win thing you know if i if i can slightly influence you into this way of thinking or into coming along with me on this journey it's going to benefit me in this way but it's also going to benefit you and the organization so no it's not manipulation when a person's actions because they've got the emotional intelligence to recognize that influencing people into positive action is going to benefit everybody. That's that's mm. emotional intelligence and social excellence at play. And and that is the difference between social excellence and social domination. Absolutely, absolutely. <clears throat> so those are your four four. Uh, so those four are the influence types. So so those are the four influencers. Now, if you're listening to this, you'll be starting to pick think think of some names in your mind. You know, in the team. Oh God, so and so fits that bill, and I've definitely got one of those, etc. I guess what's the point we're discussing this, Spence? For me, leaders need to, if leaders are going to truly understand group and power dynamics within their team, they need to understand the concepts of on-the-ground influencers. Certainly. And they need to recognize the influencers they have. And if you have positive influencers, you need to leverage them for the greater good and get them in the tent, give them more responsibility, get them leading by example, because that will trigger positive crowd contagion. If you've got negative influences in the team, you need to, first of all, decipher, have I got disruptive people or disillusioned? If you've got disillusioned, then I think it's time to go to work. It's time to go to work as a leader to, to deal with that situation. We need to get them back to positive. If you're sat there right now and you genuinely think you have a disruptive negative influencer, this is the hardest one of them all, but you need to do something about it. The longer that is left the more your credibility as a leader will win. Is that a fair comment, Spence? I think it is. I think it is a more than fair comment. And I think that we've all been, uh, we've all experienced that to a greater or less degree in our working lives. Be that from a managerial perspective 
or being an on-the-ground producer. We've seen it from both angles. And I think that one of the reasons why people have struggled to sort of deal with that situation is being because we haven't given them identities. We haven't given my identity. Some people have managed and influenced those on the ground influencers um, effectively, and the situation has benefited from that. However, some people have struggled, whether it's the naivety from some or inexperience of some managers who think, you know what, I'm, I've got a managerial position and I can shout louder than you, thinking that that's going to um, deal with the situation, and it doesn't. Yeah, we've got to, we've got to deal with that a strength of a leader will be observed by the wider group based on their ability to deal with difficult situations and difficult people. Mm -hmm. The longer you tolerate the wrong behaviors, the wrong people, the more you will be frowned upon, looked upon as a weak leader. Certainly. And when that perception of your leadership is, is there, it's almost untenable. Um, but it's not necessarily just us as low level leaders, medium level leaders, We've got famous examples of this, of people who have dealt with it. And I suppose we've also seen people who haven't dealt with yeah. it very well. And it's worth touching upon those with the last five minutes, because <clears throat> what are we asking you to do? What are we asking you to consider? What do those leaders do who manage on the ground influencers effectively and, and then create high performing, productive teams and environments as a result of it? Well, in a nutshell, you have to leverage your positive influ influencers you have to rescue your disillusioned influencers. And to do that, you have to remove your disruptive influencers. And I mean remove yeah. at all costs. Might seem harsh, might seem daunting with a supportive HR department and with, with some focus and effort and a fair process, it can be done. Now, give me an example, Spence. Which first example that pops to mind of this in action? Straight away, Alex Ferguson. Uh, and I know why you keep asking me to say that. Uh, Spence yes. is a Leeds United fan, so every time <laughs> he has to praise Alex Ferguson, he does it through <laughs> gritted teeth. <clears throat> so, yeah, arguably uh, one of the most successful managers of the recent times, um, definitely of the last uh, 20, uh, 30 years, should we say 30 years? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it, pre whether we're talking about the Premier League, whether we're talking about European football, uh, world football, I suppose, to a certain degree. Um, and there's a reason for that, isn't there, Martin? There is. There is. I mean, if you think about Alex Ferguson, he I watched a documentary with him recently after retirement as well about leadership, and he talks about control a lot. He needs mm. to keep control of the environment to, 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 to be effective, basically. And the one thing that would challenge his control is big, big characters, big mm. personalities. People get a bit too big for the boots people who start negatively influencing that training and within the within the wider group. So um, if you look at his record, one of the things he did was he was successful over that period of time with some fantastic squads, but also with some average squads. When you look mm -hmm. back at some of the squads with Wes Brown and Johnny Evans and Smalling and you look at squads with, you know, the Nevilles and Darren Fletcher and Nicky Butt and these players, I'm not saying there wasn't good players, but they weren't the Cristiano Ronaldo's of the world, right? Yeah. He still won titles every single year or won trophies most years, despite at times selling some of the most high-profile players Man United have ever had. Mm. Yap Stam got too big for his boots. He was sold. David Beckham, prime of his career, 
the most valuable footballer on the planet as a franchise, as a brand by none. And he sold him because they started to become issues and problems. Yeah. You know, there's a there's a load of other examples of that in Man United, but Ferguson's Roy Keane, another example. Ferguson's view is this. If you're disrupting the environment, if you're bigger than the club, or you feel that you're bigger than the club, yeah. if you're challenging my leadership or control over the group, mm. you're gone. Yeah. And it didn't matter how credible through performance, respected through experience, anything you are, you're gone. Mm. So he did that really, really well. And and I think he managed to sustain a culture of performance throughout that entire 20-year period. Well, that was it because people were look, looking at him and saying, you can't sell them, you can't sell them, they're your best players. But he knew different. He knew what was going on behind. And you've got to bear in mind that when those big hitters, when those big players left, then there was a above average, but definitely average squads behind. And everybody thought, right, that's it. Man United, they're falling off a cliff. But they didn't, did they? No. They continued. No. And there's plenty of other examples like this, like Steve Jobs at mm. Apple, etc. But the point we're making here is it can be done with strength, um, strength of leadership and understanding that although you might be about to take a short-term hit by selling your best players or removing people who can do the job, because that's what people get trapped in. This person is a negative influencer, but they're my best person on the shop floor mm. or they've been doing it 20 years and yeah. I can't replace that skill set. So you need to understand that short-term pain is worth the long-term gain when it comes to influencers. And with a minute left, Spence, let's wrap this up. Yeah, Managing on-the-ground influencers is incredibly important. Leaders think it's not always you that carries the greatest influence over the team. Quite often, the peer group does. And if you've got positive people doing that, you you can lead in a dinner suit. It'll be mm. the easiest job in the world. If you've got negative influences, it could make your job incredibly difficult. Yeah. So you've got to leverage your positive, rescue your disillusioned, and remove your disruptive at all costs. Yeah. Spencer Locker enjoyed that. Good stuff. Let's Martin, hope so it's recorded. <laughs> if, you li- if you're listening to this, Woo-hey! we're back in the we game. Got there. And we'll <laughs> and we'll be back shortly with another T2 Hubcast.